episode of Fusion and Hockey Podcast is sponsored by Sandborn's Boys. This new sports novel by Benji Mellaris is available on Amazon. Order your copy of Sandborn's Boys today. I'm Alex Mellaris. And I'm Dai Fu. Trade alert, trade alert, trade alert. This was a couple days ago. The Montreal Canadiens made a trade for the first time since trade deadline day, where they made multiple trades. And this one, a uh, very big trade. Uh, yeah, definitely a big trade. We have two trades so far this offseason, and both have been pretty big. Jake Allen, as I'm fairly confident everybody knows by now is now the new Montreal Canadiens backup goalie. Montreal acquired Jake Allen and a seventh round pick in 2022 for a third and a seventh this year. That's the deal. And I, to be honest, wasn't sure if Montreal was even going to make a backup goalie move. I wouldn't have been surprised if they let Primo, Demchenko, and Lindgren kind of battle it out for the backup spot. But uh, yeah, they did. And I think this is the best goalie duo the Canadians have had since Price and Halak. Yeah, absolutely. And you you call it a big trade, and I would I would absolutely agree. Uh, primarily because this was, you know, top one, top two uh, among Mark Bergeron's priorities heading into the offseason was to figure out the backup position. And acquiring, I would say, a big name in Jake Allen, you know, in terms of backup goalies. Uh, yeah, I think he's one of the best among there out there. And it's just acquiring him it gives you, you know, a much better sense of security heading into next season. Uh, you know, the one thing that we've heard a lot, you know, people are kind of harping on the Habs are spending $15 million in cap space while on goalies. Well, next the thing is, right, Jake Allen, his contract is up. The Habs have so much cap space just for next season, right? It's the season after where, you know, the Habs need to start, you know, giving contract extensions or, you know, resigning people. And that's where the cap kind of gets, you know, starts getting tight. But for next season, uh, kind of like the past two seasons, the Habs have more cap space than they can really use. Uh, and honestly, in terms of one-year investments, I think Jake Allen's $5 million, uh, it's as good as it gets because, you know, we, we were harping about this last week. Uh, we're talking about, you know, Price can't play like 58 regular season games again uh, in one season. That was, you know, that was all, already abbreviated. It was just too much. And it was clear that he was breaking down uh, we saw how good he was with the extended rest in the playoffs. And yeah, and a guy like Jake Allen, I mean, if Bryce does end up getting injured or he needs some extra rest, I mean, I have full confidence in the guy because, you know, he has been a starter in the NHL and he's been a very good backup behind Jake uh, Jordan Bennington. And so I think this is just a fantastic move from Bergevin in terms of addressing, in terms of addressing the, uh, the backup goaltender situation. Yeah, my main observation from the day the trade broke and I guess the following days too Habs fans pretty much unanimously uh, were fond of the trade and outsiders not Habs fans maybe people who didn't have their their pulse on the their finger on the pulse of the team quite as well as some of us do uh, their first reaction was that wow almost 15 million dollars uh, of your cap almost 20 percent of the cap spent on goaltending seems a little outrageous and as you said that kind of misses the mark because it is only one year left on this contract. And you look at Jake Allen's career stats, and first of all, this past season, coming off an amazing 927 save percentage in only 24 games. Expecting he'll be playing more than 24 games. He better play more than 24 games. Probably not much more, though. 
probably I would say like 30 for Allen, 52 for Price is like the ideal ratio there or somewhere in that vicinity. But you look every time he played more than that, like significantly more, like a couple of years where he was the starter in St. Louis, uh, his numbers were significantly lower than that. And I don't see it on the stat page, but I'm pretty sure I remember pretty much every time Jake Allen would, you know, be in like a tandem splitting time more or less evenly. He would, even if it was just for like a stretch of, I don't know, a month or two, that's when he would play the best. And he's not the kind of guy, he proved this a couple years in a row. If he has to be the starter, then he's going to tail off over the course of the season and he's going to go through through some really bad stretches. So Jake Allen playing in a backup role, a very prominent backup role, is probably the ideal position for him. And as you said, with only one year left on this contract, uh, this is probably like the best thing they could have done. Like I know guys like we mentioned names like Corey Crawford were going to be available in free agency. But if you want to sign someone like that, they're probably going to get more than a one-year contract. And I feel like having this guy just for one year before all the new contracts are going to kick in and you know before you don't you don't want to have that cap hit go on for too long and also before Caden Primo is maybe ready to take over the backup backup spot Jake Allen is really the perfect guy who checks like every single box of what you could be looking for in a backup yeah truly I mean not just in terms of quality of play but yeah you're talking about contracts and all that I mean the name that we we keep throwing out in the past before this deal was you know Caden Primo what's up with his development and how long uh, until he takes a backup role or, you know, does he need another, another year in the, in the AHL? And, you know, by getting an established backup like Jake Allen, you can keep, you know, focusing on Caden Primo's development. And if he's not quite ready for the NHL as a backup, uh, you can give him that extra year. And, you know, even in those short stints that we saw this year, I mean, we saw that he could, he could you know, very possibly hold up in a backup situation. But by giving him that extra year, I mean, it certainly can't hurt for a guy like him. He's still very young. And, yeah, and then... You know, and then next year, uh, if and most likely Allen will end up leaving the Habs uh, after one season. Well, at that point, presumably Caden Primo will be ready to take the reins as the backup goalie. And at that point, you're back under you're back down to, you know, a more reasonable cap hit, I would say, because, you know, Primo's still on his ELC and obviously you've got that price contract. And so you'll be back down to $11 million. You'll have more cap space for that big off season where they're going to be they're going to need to re-sign a bunch of guys. And so, yeah, in every sense, uh, it just seems like Jake Allen is such a great fit. You're talking about, you know, how he is in a tandem. I mean, look at those two names, Carey Price and Jake Allen. Uh, just looking at them together, I mean, it looks like among one of the best tandems in the NHL in terms of just a one-two punch, not just Carey Price, but now you have Jake Allen right behind him. Uh, it just, now I have a lot more confidence heading into next season. Uh, when I'm looking at the goaltending. I mean, it was really shaky. Uh, we didn't know what was happening with Price. It really seemed like he was degrading down the stretch over the last couple of years. Uh, but with this move, I mean, yeah, I'm 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 really satisfied heading into the future. Yeah, this is, uh, I think it is the best goaltending tandem in the NHL. And also, one other thing to point out is that um, with a lot of the other really good goaltending tandems, um, like, for example, I guess, say... Say I get we'll get to the Canucks in like later in the episode. But I was thinking about this. Say the Canucks sign Markstrom, then they have Markstrom and Demko. Uh, they're gonna have to expose one in the Seattle expansion draft. And now with with Allen expiring at the end of the season for Montreal, I am pretty sure that Primo is exempt. And I mean, 
if you hold on to Charlie Lindgren somehow, then you can expose him and meet the exposure requirements. So that's another angle that we're going to have to be looking at with like pretty much every deal that goes down over the course of the next season as the Seattle implications. Um, I want to look at the picks that Montreal gave up here. The third rounder is Washington's third rounder that they got for Ilya Kovalchuk. And the seventh rounder is Chicago's seventh rounder that they got when they traded Andrew Shaw and a seventh to Chicago for a second, a third, and a seventh. The seventh that they received is the pick that they have now sent to St. Louis. So neither one is their own pick. So when you break it down, really, it's basically Jake Allen and a seventh in 2022 for Kovalchuk, who, if you'll recall, they got for nothing. And, I mean, that extra seventh, which, I mean, honestly, you take that out of the Andrew Shaw trade, still a pretty good trade. So uh, you you look you break it down like that, the optics look even better for Montreal. Yeah, absolutely. In terms of asset management, when it comes to draft picks, I think Mark Bergevin has shown himself to be very good at it. I mean, we have so many draft picks. How many draft picks do we have this draft, even without uh, the two that we've lost? I mean, we have, we have, like, 12 draft picks. What are you going to do with, like, 13, 14, right? You can't even, you can't imagine signing all of them to a contract at some point. And so, yeah, 12 is, you know, more than enough. There are seven rounds. That means you have five extra picks in there. And so, yeah, you give up a third-round pick. You already have other third. I think you have at least one more third-round pick in there. And so, frankly, it's, and as you said, you got it with, uh, you got it from the, the Koval truck trade. And so you're playing with house money at this point. And, and I think Bergevin used that house money in a very, you know, smart move by getting Allen. And, yeah, this is the kind of smart move you want to see. And not to mention, you know, the Blues, the, their second-round pick, we have it because of like, the, the, the Marco Scandell and we got a free second-round pick for him. Uh, and, yeah, another shrewd move when it comes to, you know, flipping players and, and draft picks. And, yeah, Bergevin has shown himself to be really good with it. He's got all these assets. He's got too many draft picks at this point. And, yeah, this is the kind of thing you want to see when you have too many. You offload some of them, and you get some quality players that will play a significant role, and that fills a hole that was glaring, uh, and that was, you know, among the top priorities. Uh, Yeah, it's just great all around from Bergevin. And, yeah, you talk about optics. I mean, you're talking about a free third and and essentially a free seventh from that shot trade. You're you're sending them for a top-caliber backup goalie in Jake Allen. It just, it looks great. And yeah, as you said, has plan as a whole. Uh, I think we're all very happy. And when it comes to, you know, people who don't follow the team so much, I just don't think they have, they, they don't, they don't have their finger on the pulse so much because I don't think they realize how much price was degrading without a quality backup behind him and all, all those games played. And so, yeah, I, I really do like this move on all fronts. There, there doesn't really seem to be any negatives here. Mm-hmm. Looking at the draft board for Montreal, they're picking, now Now that the conference finals are set, all their picks are in place. They're picking number 16, 47, 48, 57, 78, 98, 102, 109, 136, 140, 171, and 188. So 12 picks. I'm pretty sure that is uh, the most of any team in the NHL. Maybe Ottawa has more, but either way, Montreal is very close to the top. Yeah, and so we're talking about loaning out the pipeline. This team is still, you know... Uh, it's on the it's nearing the tail end of the rebuild, but it's the rebuilding. And all those picks, whether you want to trade for a guy, uh, which I think is unlikely at this point, but just even for you know building out the pipeline for future years, uh, still very valuable. And he's got so many. Uh, and you know the lottery's kind of uh, the lottery. The draft is kind of a crapshoot. Uh, it's kind of like a lottery. And so yeah, all these picks certainly can't hurt. And you're not going to end up signing all of them, but I'm sure you know with with all the scouting going on, they're sure to find some gems. 
uh, yeah, you keep shooting, you'll eventually get one in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, before we move on from Jake Allen and the goaltending situation, I have a prediction to make that I just thought of on the spot. I predict that now with Jake Allen playing behind him and and uh, diminishing Price's workload, I think Carey Price is going to win the Vezina next year. That's my prediction. Wow. Vezina Trophy, second of his career. I think that he hasn't won more than that, just that one, right? Yeah, no. He has one Vezina Trophy. I think he gets his second one in the 2020-21 season. Also, uh, I also wanted to mention, like, now that uh, now that they have Price and Allen as the, the clear one-two on the team, there's really a logjam with the Laval Rocket in the crease. Charlie Lindgren, Caden Primo, Vasily Demchenko, Michael McNeven, all, I would say, certified AHL players. If you have three of them, maybe you, you know, maybe McNeven will be like an ECHL star, or maybe you loan him to another AHL team. I think they did that at a couple points this season. But with four of them, I, I'd be surprised. Uh, Primo's not going anywhere. Demchenko, unlikely he goes anywhere because he kind of just got here. Charlie Lindgren is probably seems like the odd man out, but then I've thought like, well, you need to have somebody eligible to be exposed for the Seattle expansion draft. So I guess you do have some time to figure that out, but I feel like Montreal's goaltending moves may not be done for this offseason because of all those Laval rocket goalies. Yeah. And you're talking about a guy like Demchenko. I mean, I'm sure he can't be too happy because you know, you're talking about a guy coming from the KHL. He probably wants a shot at the NHL and with Montreal, I really don't see that happening anymore, uh, you know, barring an injury. And so in terms of odd guys out, you know, you, you know, I know he was just signed, but I wouldn't be too surprised if Demchenko asks out and, you know, asks for a trade because, you know, they're talking about a guy who's looking for an NHL opportunity. And now that like that road seems completely closed off of this franchise. And other than that, I mean, McNeven, yeah, he's, he's just a guy. He's been around for a while now. And so, yeah, you send him down to the ECHL, you loan him off. Uh, but yeah, you're talking about a long drive. It's, it's a good problem to have, right? Too many goalies, uh, too many AHL caliber goalies, not a terrible thing. Uh, but yeah, I mean, if you can recoup some assets for any one of these guys, uh, I, I think Bergevay comes off yeah, pretty big one there. Yeah, I think that this is probably a situation where you wait till the dust settles on free agency and see, look around the league, see if there are any teams who maybe thought they were going to be able to sign a backup but ended up not being able to and say, hmm, maybe do you want do you want to take a flyer on Demchenko, who's had some KHL success, or maybe Charlie Lindgren. And I think you could find a take or maybe get get decent value, even if it's just like a, a fringe, I don't know, fringe NHL player. Yeah. I mean, at this point, right, any of these guys uh, that aren't primo, I, I don't see, I really don't see a future with a hat. You know what I mean? Any long-term, short-term, uh, any like anything like that. Uh, so, you know, in terms of offloading them, if you can get something back, uh, that's quality, you know, even like, you know, if you can get a solid pick out of it, uh, it's just, it's, it, you're, it, I keep saying house money. Uh, it really feels like we're playing house money with the whole goaltending situation now. Uh, and you know, I mean, you can keep them on the roster. I won't throw a fit or anything. Uh, now you've just got crazy goaltending depth and not many guys are playing, but, uh, yeah, uh, house money. That's what it feels like. I mean, I don't. Uh, if he offloads one of them, I think that's the expected route because there are so many. But if he doesn't, I mean, no biggie. It's it is AHL goaltenders after all, and yeah, among the priorities, I think it's among the lower ones for Bergevin. But yeah, uh, it's definitely a situation to keep an eye on. And if he does trade one you of them, wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, you mentioned uh, keeping them on the roster. Maybe 
Uh, I just kind of thought of this because you said that. I remember what the Islanders did leading up to the Vegas expansion draft was they kept Jean-Francois Berube on their roster as their third-string goalie the entire season. I don't think he played. If he did, he barely played at all. And then he ended up being you know, part of the, a side deal with the Golden Knights. So I wonder if maybe Bergevin does a similar thing with Charlie Lindgren. Keep him on the roster as a third-string goalie. Maybe only plays in case of an injury. And then he meets the exposure requirement for the Seattle expansion draft. Now, I'm sure Charlie Lindgren would be very unhappy with that, of just sitting in the press box the entire season. But I wonder if that's maybe on Bergevin's mind, Charlie Lindgren just doing nothing, then Primo and Debchenko splitting, splitting time with the Rocket. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a funky alternative. Uh, yeah, the Seattle expansion draft is going to start weighing on these management teams uh, more and more. And... I mean, yeah, as you said, I'm sure Lindgren wouldn't be pleased at all with that. I mean, sitting on the sidelines the entire time. But then again, if he's in the NHL, uh, is he on a two-way contract? I'm pretty sure he earns more money this way. I'm, I'm pretty sure, sure it's a one-way okay. contract, actually, for him. Oh, okay. So no, no right, salary so difference. Really yeah, all right. So he really wouldn't be, uh, he would be really unhappy at that point. But yeah, things to keep track of. Uh, goalie exposure. Uh, you're talking about the situation that has right now. Definitely something to keep a try on because the Habs do need to expose somebody. Uh, Lindgren seems the most likely out of all the people. Uh, and so, I mean, I wouldn't be too shocked. I mean, that's one of those, you know, funky things, keeping a guy as a third-string goalie on your roster. But, I mean, if it means that you don't have to sign another guy just to expose them, eh, it could be a worthwhile move for Bergevin. Uh, because, yeah, we it's, it, it's a weird and tricky situation when it comes to expansion drafts and, you know, managing your assets in that way. Oh, actually, I just want to maybe correct some. Lindgren, actually, for whatever I thought his contract went a little longer. If they were to expose him he would have to sign like at least a one-year extension with Montreal because we're heading into the last season of his contract before he becomes a UFA as well. He expires at the same time as Jake Allen. So if I'm not mistaken, right now, the only goalie Montreal has that would meet the requirements is Carey Price, who obviously won't be exposed. So they're either extending a guy they already have or acquiring someone else. Yeah, we could, you know, I think we saw something like this uh, with Vegas. You could see the Habs maybe like signing some bum. Uh, that happens to be eligible. Uh, yep. And I think, yeah, I think it's in anyways. Uh, we'll get to that when it comes to, in terms of, you know, like later on when we get closer to, and we'll see uh, if the Habs do encounter that sort of problem. But for now, uh, I'm really happy with the way this Allen thing uh, leaves the goaltending situation uh, with this franchise. Uh, yep. I totally agree with that. Fantastic trade. I was pretty happy when I saw it, and I'm still happy about it now. Very exciting to... See them getting in on some early offseason action. Other Habs news, Max Domi fires his agent, Pat Brisson. Pretty reminiscent of Max Pacioretty firing his agent, Pat Brisson, just a few months before, before he was traded to the Golden Knights about two years ago. And he hired Darren Ferris, who's been uh, who's risen to prominence over the past year or so, mostly due to that, that infamous Mitch Marner uh, contract dispute from a year ago. And... This this Max Domi, whatever, they're probably going to trade him now. I think the Gazette even reported like, oh, Max Domi's probably going to be traded. And, I mean, Domi, you hired Darren Ferris. Sure. He Now, I mean, I'd also want a, an agent. Like, look at the contract he was just able to get for Marner. But I feel like if Ferris tries to pull that same thing with Bergevin, like, oh, Domi, if he doesn't get $7.5 million, then he's going to go play with the Zurich Lions. Like, Domi isn't Marner. Domi's expendable. And I think, honestly, whether Ferris tries to play extreme hardball or not, I don't see Domi sticking around beyond this offseason. 
Yeah, I I mean, I really don't see the leverage from Domi's part here. Uh, as you said, he's expendable. He's playing, you know, some stints on the fourth line. And he kind of does seem like the odd man out of the top nine uh, and the top the, the 10 forwards that the Habs have that, you know, that could play in the top nine. And so, yeah, the leverage isn't there. And, yeah, it's a pretty significant move in terms of, you know, Paperson is notably, you know, pretty close to Mark, uh, Mark Bergevin and is friendly with him. And when you fire a guy like that and you hire, you know, someone as, as notorious and infamous as Darren Ferris is for his negotiation tactics and, you know, playing hardball, not, you know, making friends with the franchise that he's negotiating with. Well, yeah, that doesn't bode well for Max Domi's future with the Habs. And yeah, it's, it's, you know, everybody's saying it now, would be surprised. I would be surprised to see Max Domi play next year as a Habs uh, player because, yeah, all signs seem to be pointing to he's on his way out, right? Buying your agent, it's something notable that, you know, that kind of indicates... All right, we're moving on here. Uh, and yeah, I mean, that just seems to be the foregone conclusion at this point that he's on his way out. And I mean, I can't say I'm too sad about it. He, as you said, he is a pretty expendable part of the team at this point. Uh, not a great season this year, obviously. And uh, yeah, it is what it is for Max Domi. Yep. Um, and he does seem like the kind of player that you'll be able to get more than fair value for because he has, you know, uh, GMs will tend to overplay for overpay for a player with like first round pedigree. He was great at the world juniors five years ago. He had one really good season, uh, you know, the 18, 19 season, his first one in Montreal. So I could definitely envision a GM overpaying for that in Montreal coming away pretty cleanly on a Max Domi trade. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you look at the captain trade. Uh, that just happened with Toronto and Pittsburgh. Uh, kind of similar in that sense. Both the youngest players, you talk about first-round pedigree and all that. Uh, as we talked about last week, the Penguins completely overpaid uh, for Kasperi Kapanen. Wouldn't be surprised to see uh, Bergevin get that kind of value for Domi. I certainly hope so. Uh, and yeah, hopefully this doesn't reduce his leverage, but I don't think so. I mean, Toronto didn't have much leverage to begin with in that trade scenario, and they made out like bandits. And so if you could find a team that bites, that really likes Domi, and that really overvalues the season that he had, you know, the in the first season that he had with Montreal a couple of seasons ago, uh, and I'm sure at least one team does, I think you can find a taker who will, you know, offer some decent value for the guy. Yeah, and it's worth mentioning, Max Domi isn't the only Canadian's RFA whose agent is Darren Ferris. That's because that's also Victor Mete's agent, and he's an RFA. So once again, Mete, Marner, not exactly on the same level, but Mete also kind of like, if Darren Ferris wants to, you know, fuck around a little bit too much, then Mete is an expendable player too. He's a bottom pairing defenseman, a pretty good bottom pairing defenseman, but you can find a player to to perform at a similar level to him in free agency if you really wanted to. I hope it doesn't come to that. I hope they manage to keep Victor Mate around for a reasonable price. But I mean, with Darren Ferris, now everyone's going to have an eye on like every player who, who uh, has Darren Ferris as an agent to see how those negotiations go. And Victor Mate is one of those guys. Yeah, I mean, yeah, the, the, the name Darren Ferris eh, raises a red flag now uh, because of that whole Mitch Marner debacle. And so yeah, Victor Mate... I mean, I don't, I don't sense any discontent from him. He seems to have carved out a nice role uh, in the bottom four for the Habs. And so, uh, yeah, definitely something to keep track of. I mean, Darren Ferris, yeah, as I said, red flags all around when you see that name as a player's agent. But, yeah, we'll see how it, we'll see how it pans out. Uh, and, yeah, I like Mate. And especially as, you know, a guy on the bottom pair. And if you can stick around for, as you said, not a bad price, then, yeah, would be, would be happy with that. So, speaking of... Well, not speaking of anything, I guess. Uh, speaking of hockey, I guess. Uh, we're still in the middle <laughs> yeah. of the playoffs. And in fact, uh, 
quite, pretty much like at the halfway point, not counting the play-in round of the playoffs. Round two is done. Round three starts tonight. And it was a very exciting round two, especially latter half of round two. Because, of course, we were at that crossroad with every series was three to one. Tampa Bay finished off the Bruins. Uh, we were, I think, right on the brink of that last episode when we recorded. And we both kind of saw it coming a little bit because Halak was kind of fading, you know, playing very often in the short stretch. Lightning win that one in five. Move on to round three. All the other three-to-one series uh, follow the same tra- trajectory. The team that's down fights back, wins game five, game six, and then loses game seven. Yeah, and so in terms of excitement, uh, I mean, it was fantastic. You, you love even the threat of a comeback. It was fun. So let's get into these series one by one. Uh, I think we'll start with the one that, you know, ended first. Uh, so Tampa Bay, Boston, and we kind of covered it because we were already kind of expecting this because, you know, just Tampa looked like the better team. As you said, Halak really did kind of fade down the stretch. I thought he, he really did stand on his head in the last game. I thought he gave a valiant effort. But, yeah, he kind of cost him. Well, yeah, I mean, you can't really blame him. He played a lot, and he's the backup goalie for crying out loud. And so, yeah, they couldn't really cover from the Rask. The loss, you know, Rask leaving the bubble. and. I mean, it was really the entire team for Boston that felt markedly worse from their, you know, their performance against Carolina where they were really rolling. I mean, just their even their forwards, their forward depth wasn't fantastic. I mean, I we were, I was praising David Krejci against Carolina. We saw like, you know, old man David Krejci with the resurgence, but he, him and his second line weren't very effective against Tampa Bay and Tampa's depth was just, it was insane. I mean, especially that third line. Uh, you know, Goudreau, Gord, and Coleman, they got a lot of praise and deservedly so. And two of those guys, Tampa's, Tampa acquired them, you know, and we thought at the time that maybe they overpaid. Well, it looks like they're really paying dividends in the playoffs here because that line seems to be dominating any sort of depth that they go against uh, in these playoffs. They're just they're just rolling. And so, yeah, in terms of those expensive deadline acquisitions, it really seems like they're working out. Uh, and I really like this team moving forward. Yeah, uh, I I agree with you there. Uh, Tampa, like talking about those those depth acquisitions, Coleman, Barkley, Gaudreau, also Zach Zach Bogosian, kind of in that mix since they they didn't trade for him, but they signed him uh, around the time of the trade deadline. And I mean, yeah, he's kind of uh, you know had a little bit of, of a resurgence here after everyone kind of wrote him off. And we're going to talk about the Lightning a little more later because uh, spoilers, but uh, that's our guess who team for today. And I mean, if the Lightning win the cup, then who cares that they gave up two first round picks for two third liners? Like it's totally wiped off of history. And I mean, that's that's the risk you take when you when you take when you overpay for a depth player at the trade deadline. But if anyone's going to do it, then I mean, Tampa Bay it's probably probably uh, smartest for them. Uh, next series, I guess, uh, if we want to stick with the East for now, is the Flyers and the Islanders. Um, I picked the Islanders, you picked the Flyers, so I was correct on this one. I went, I actually went three for four in this round two, and you went two for four, I believe. So, wait, did you pick the Stars or the Avalanche? Oh, I picked the Avalanche. So, yeah, okay. two for four. I thought so. Well I don't remember, yeah, you're two for four. four. I'm three for four. Uh, the Islanders, even though it did go to game seven, uh, total domination all the way through. Uh, we talked about this, how the Flyers were, were kind of, you know, didn't quite play up to all the hype against Montreal. Same story against New York. And, I mean, all you have to do is look at the three Flyers wins. All of them were in overtime. Like, all, they just happened to get those three coin flips, land on the right side for them. But it could have very easily been a sweep if they lost that, that overtime game two. Or it could have ended much earlier than game seven. So the Flyers, I mean, 
lucky a little bit to hang around, hang around in there for as long as they did. But the Islanders, man, you know, they, they said enough of that in game seven and they totally dominated. Yeah. Domination all series. And yeah, as you said, I was surprised this, this series went to seven. Uh, I expected it to, to, to be in five. I think, I think Philly benefited from quite a bit of puck luck as well as, you know, Carter Hart, uh, no, he paid up the he lived up to the billing. Uh, he was great against Montreal and he was great against New York. But frankly, it just wasn't enough because his team was completely outclassed uh, by the Islanders, totally dominant. I mean, and as I said before the series, they do kind of play a similar system. Uh, they rely on the forecheck and they are, you know, pretty system-based. And Philly couldn't get their forecheck going. Uh, they they couldn't solve the Islanders' defensive system. All series. And, you know, you look at the stars for, for Philadelphia. None of them could really get anything going. Konechny was notoriously silent. But even Couturier, apparently he was a bit injured there with the knee. Uh, Voracek, Giroux, all those big names, they really didn't score any points. They didn't score any goals. And, you know, one of the reasons why I picked Philadelphia, and really the main reason I picked Philadelphia, was because of the star talent. And all those names I just named, uh, they play the same. They play a similar system, and I thought, you know, maybe those stars would put them over the edge, but they were just completely silenced uh, because the Islanders were so dominant. And yeah, I'm surprised this went to seven. And to see that, you know, to see Philly completely dominated, uh, and New York, New York really controlled the pace of the game the entire time in that game seven, wasn't surprised at all because that was the way the entire series was going. Uh, and yeah, uh, another narrative: Philly couldn't get their power play going. They couldn't do it in the entire series. It just they were totally flat. The team was. Uh, and even against Montreal, some weird vibes there. Uh, you know, really wasn't the same team that we saw in the round robin. And so, uh, as soon as the series got going, not not surprised that New York uh, ended up winning this one. Yeah, I, I actually I was I was talking to to my sister yesterday, uh, and I, I was telling her about how like whoever wins the Flyers Islanders game is going to fly to Edmonton, uh, probably like the next day. I don't know; they might be flying there right now. And I actually said when I was telling telling her this, I said, and after the game, the Islanders are going to fly to Edmonton because I was I was already so certain that the Islanders were going to win, and it was a game seven. And I was already it was I was already dead set on it. Like if the Flyers win, it would have been a very big surprise just because the Islanders were the better team in every single game leading up to that in the series. Also, Thomas Grice, I want to point him out too. Varlamov had a bit of a shaky game six, I think. So Barry Trotz, you know, goes out on a limb a little bit. Puts in the backup goalie, Thomas Grice, and he pitches a shutout. Absolutely fantastic. And uh, Thomas Grice, you're talking about uh, pending free agent goalies. Based on how well he's done over uh, over the course of the season, uh, maybe someone will overpay for him a little bit. And maybe behind a not such a structured defense like the Islanders have, might end up going south a little bit. I mean, you, Thomas Grice had another name in this, I mean, loaded UFA goalie class. Uh, yeah, so another guy to keep track of uh, who was hot down the stretch in the playoffs and and not just the playoffs for Grice. He was great all season. And so, I mean, completely loaded. So many names. It's going to be like musical chairs. And uh, yeah, that's going to be something. Like, that'll probably be the most exciting part aside maybe from Hall. But even then, honestly, this, this I would find the most interesting part of the free agency heading into this offseason uh, is the goalie musical chairs that we're going to be seeing. Uh, yeah, plus uh, Petrangelo and Krug. They, Petrangelo is probably going to stick stick around in St. Louis after that Jake Allen trade. Assume they're clearing out cap room for him. Tori Krug, I don't know if Boston's going to be able to squeeze him in. That's a name to watch. But uh, yeah, the goal is definitely going to be a big story. Markstrom, Leonard. Speaking of Markstrom and Leonard, I guess, uh, want go, go to slide over to Vancouver, Vegas, which was uh, quite the spectacle. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, this is another series. The ice was tilted on this one, wasn't it? Uh, it just felt like Vegas. Uh, aside from maybe game two, they were really dominant. But, and, and you know, after game four, uh, it was three to one for Vegas. And I was really ready to write, you know, Vancouver off. And, you know, it was they, they had a nice shot. Uh, they had a nice run. Uh, but then game five and six, it really became, and even seven, it became the Thatcher Demko show. Uh, total brick wall. I think he gave up one goal in games five and six. And he really held solid in, for, what, the entirety of game seven, really, until he gave up that last goal. Uh, and so, yeah, uh, the tilted ice, it really, like, Vegas controlled the, the play basically the entire series. Uh, but, I mean, Demko really kind of pulled them back from the dead. But, yeah, Vegas was just too good. And that's why they ended up winning game seven. Thatcher Demko's stats uh, in this playoffs, four games, 064 goals against average, 985 save percentage. I think maybe, but I think like maybe my favorite Demko stat is after just, and I don't think he played a full four games. I think he came in in relief of Markstrom in game four when he got injured, if I'm not mistaken. And then obviously took over the crease for the rest of the series was that after just those like three and a half games, he led playoff goalies in wins saved above expected with like nine or something incredibly ridiculous like that. So, I mean, people were drawing comparisons to 2010 Yaroslav Halak. I mean, yeah, that that comparison tracks, because, except, except for the fact that Vancouver couldn't quite win. But the comparison is totally valid. Also, when you talk about how they're probably going to have to choose, like right now, between Markstrom and Demko. And on one hand, uh, Demko hasn't really proven himself besides these three games just now. So it's probably a little bit of a, you know, a leap of faith you have to take if you want to entrust him with us as the starter. But on the other hand, if you want to go back to Markstrom, then he's like 30 and you're really going to, I don't know, seems very expensive probably for a team that's already so close to the cap and you're going to have to expose one of them to Seattle. So maybe Markstrom will make the decision for you by leaving, but that's another very interesting storyline to look at. Yeah, I mean, if you ask me, I think the answer is really obvious. I think you stick with Thatcher Demko because this is a guy that has been touted as, you know, the goalie of the future for a few for a few years now for Vancouver. And, you know, Markstrom had a ridiculous season. Let's not let's not undercut how good of a season he had. He's probably going to get some Vezina votes. And, you know, I think there were some talk, like some people wanted some hard consideration for him because he carried that Vancouver team uh, all season, really. He was just spectacular. But it just doesn't make sense to re-sign the guy. There's no cap space for him currently. And especially with, with you know, guys like Hughes and Pedersen needing new contracts, what, next year? You can't, you can't afford to pay a goalie $6 million when you already have a viable solution in Demko. Uh, do you need that leap of faith? Absolutely, because he's no certainty. But with these last few games, he's shown the ability to play really well, play under pressure, and to be a starting goaltender. I mean, what more do you want? Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a league of tough decisions when it comes to this, when it comes to the salary cap, but with this one, I mean, yeah. And even then you have to take and take into account that expansion draft. You're going to have to expose both of them. If you do resign Markstrom, uh, I just, I know Markstrom was really good this season, but I think given what he's shown the last, I know it's a small sample size, but still in those last three playoff games, I think Thatcher Demko is the guy for the, the guy, the guy for the future for Vancouver because I can't see them with all those terrible contracts in their depth, uh, within their depth pieces. I don't see Vancouver being able to hold on uh, to Markstrom without completely, completely tanking their ability to re-sign Hughes and Pedersen. 
and Vegas was just unstoppable, man. Like they were, they were amazing. Vancouver had like six shots at the second intermission in Game Seven. They they just come at you in waves. And I mean, I guess we'll get to conference finals preview in a, in a minute. But like, if it's not Vegas Tampa, I think it's probably a surprise. And I mean, Robin Leonard also like everyone's talking about Demko. He had three shutouts this series in six games, which is re- remarkable in its own right. And he was probably what like the third most talking about goalie in the series, if not the fourth. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you talk about, yeah, absolutely, third most goal, uh, talk about goalie. But yeah, he's been very good. And Vegas, yeah, you talk about being dangerous. Uh, I'm scared of that team. Uh, I've I've frequently voiced my disdain and my lack of approval for this Vegas team because I don't know why I just don't like them. But uh, yeah, a real threat to win the cup at this point, looking really dangerous. As you said, they can roll all four lines and they just come at you wave after wave. Uh, and Vancouver couldn't keep up, right? And that's that's really why they lost the series. Uh, if they could keep up in some degree, they probably would have won. Uh, if they could have gotten their power play going in that game seven, they probably would have won when Reeves got that major penalty. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, it's just, it's just Vegas was so much better in terms of, you know, the skaters. And even the goal, their goaltending was really good. Yeah, you talk about Leonard. Uh, that despite the fact that Demko turned into like 2010 Halak uh, and just completely absurd into just, he just shut down that team. Uh, it just, it wasn't enough because really, I don't think anything would have been enough for Vancouver at this point, just because the talent disparity was so big on every single other area of the ice because Vegas was so good that, yeah, it's just, it felt like, you know, you were watching that game seven and it was a foregone conclusion, kind of. Like, you know, like you could feel it, that Vegas, you know, they were just that close uh, to get that dam to break uh, for Th- Th- Thatcher Demko. They just, you just knew. If they just needed one goal because they were just so much better than Vancouver. And yeah, looking forward, just so dangerous. And yeah, absolutely a threat yeah. to win the whole thing. I think Robin Leonard deserves a lot more credit for that Game 7 win because you talk about the underdog. We've talked about what does an underdog need to do to win? And one of the things is when you get scoring chances, you need to capitalize on them. And Brock Besser had one, I think, in the late in the second period. Robin Leonard absolutely robbed him. So like Robin Leonard, he didn't see very much action, but when he did, he made the saves and some of those saves were very difficult. And I mean, if you let in one of those in, even if it's a great goal, then I mean, you know, then it kind of starts to creep in as the favorite. Like, oh man, are we going to be able to beat Demko? Start doubting yourself, which honestly they were probably doing anyway. So Robin Leonard, definitely a a very, very big piece of the puzzle for Vegas. And you talked about how you're not a fan of the Golden Knights. You know that I, oh well, I I, I don't know. I kind of was when they, you know, I kind of, in like 17, 18, in in their first season, I, before the season started, I was like, I'm declaring my fandom for the Golden Knights. I'm going to cheer for them. And they made it to the finals, of course, and it was amazing and a lot of fun. But, I mean, the shine has kind of worn off a little bit for me. I don't know if it's just because, you know, time has passed or because now they're, you know, the shine has worn off the, like, whole expansion, little, you know, underdog story. They're not an underdog anymore at all. They're uh, the best team in the Western Conference. And I don't know if it's that or maybe, like, Bill Foley. But for whatever reason, or maybe that they were playing the, the fun Canucks, I couldn't really seem to get behind them. Ah, maybe it's the cement jerseys, the cement colored jerseys. Uh, no, it's not the like jerseys. Those. They're still it's beautiful. Oh, yeah? The jerseys are still right. beautiful. Okay. Yeah. We still got beef on that. But hey, uh, ah, nice. The shine is worn off. That's, uh, I like to hear that as a, as a Vegas hater. But uh, yeah, sure. that Lander save might have saved the series right there. Honestly, that was, really, that was crazy. Oh my God. Did you see that save? Like, whew. Backdoor, Besser has to bury that, right? Like, 
What yeah. a save. I thought oh it was God. in for sure. No, 100%. And I thought, you know, yeah, once Vancouver they get that goal, you're absolutely right. The 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 the, the thing that it starts creeping into your mind, are we ever going to beat the guy? I mean, you saw Mark, do you see Mark Stone's reaction when it came to the handshake line when he when he got to Thatcher Demko? He was just like shaking no, his head, it? you know, like it was, he was just like he was like shaking his head in disbelief, you know, like oh my god, guys, oh, uh, I was just insane. And, and you know, you saw the respect that he had for him because of how much he shut them down. And yeah, if you're Vegas and you're down one nothing all of a sudden against a goalie that for three games you haven't been able to beat, uh, I think the mental aspect really starts to you know set in. And so credit, full credit to Robin Lehner for stopping that shot. And yeah, you're talking about a game where he didn't have much action, but when he needed to make the save, the save. To win the game, to win the series, he made it. And really, he did that all series. He had the shutout, three shutouts. That, that's a crazy stat. I mean, you talk about Thatcher Demko's yeah. incredible stat. Three shutouts in six games is kind of insane. And so, yeah. Uh, There's Leakin's level. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, you're talking about under-talked. Absolutely. Yeah, you know, you really don't hear about guys talking about those three shutouts. But yeah, three shutouts. I mean, when do you ever see that in the NHL? Uh, in a playoff series, in the second round. Uh, it's just, yeah, Robin Lehner. Uh, I mean, fantastic acquisition. I praised it. I praised that I said, you know, they're really a threat to win the cup when they made that trade uh, at the deadline. And it's really paying dividends now because, yeah, Flurry, not such a great season. And Laner comes out to play when he needs to and makes those saves. Last player I want to shout out in the series, Shea Theodore. Pretty sure he leads the Golden Knights in points this playoff. He, of course, got the winning goal in that game seven. Uh, I think he's on like some sort of point streak. Not sure. Anyway, I think he has like 16 points so far in the playoffs, which is ridiculous for a defenseman. And of course, he's not the only defenseman with ridiculous numbers in the in these playoffs. Miro Heiskanen, Kel McCarr, Quinn Hughes, they all scored a lot. Shea Theodore, though, I think Mark Stone said like he's turning into a Norris caliber defenseman. And I mean, he's certainly playing like it in these playoffs. Uh, and I mean, it doesn't really, doesn't really help heal the sting of the fact that he went exactly one pick after Michael McCarron in 2013. But what are you going to do? He was honestly, he was like a projected second rounder anyway, a little bit of a reach, but the ducks ended up being correct on that pick, even though they kind of, you know, traded him away for, for barely anything at the expansion draft. Yeah. And it's just, just not like the West has so many good defensemen, young defensemen. I don't know how old Shay Theodore is, but he's, he's like 26. Right. Uh, yeah. And, about that. Yeah. Just another guy. He's, and like, he's got so much skill and, and I think he's underrated. And I think this, this series, this playoffs, has really been, you know, a Shea Theodore coming out party in terms of uh, how good of a defenseman he is because, yeah, he's just really taking it to another level. Uh, you see plays in the offensive zone where the guy's dangling. He's stick-handling all around the place. Uh, and, yeah, Norris-level defenseman right now would be accurate uh, just in these playoffs. We'll see if he keeps it up next season. But, I mean, he's been absolutely fantastic for Vegas. Yep, 16 points in 15 games in these playoffs so far, and he turned 25 on August 3rd, just over a month ago. So, still pretty young, not quite as young as Heiskanen and all those other guys, but uh, probably just entering his prime, which uh, looks like it'll be pretty good prime. Last series, last uh, team that had a 3-1 to series lead and almost choked it but didn't, the Dallas Stars, they lost in double overtime to the St. Louis Blues last year in Game 7 of Round 2. This year, going to overtime Game 7 Round 2 again, are they going to blow it again? They don't because hero Yoel Kiviranta playing, I think what was his second game of the playoffs hat trick. Absolutely amazing. No one had heard of them. Everyone was all, who, who's this guy? Who's this guy? And he is now a, a Dallas stars legend, whether he ever scores another goal or not. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of absurd, right? Uh, Yoel Kiviranta. Yeah. As you said, I hadn't ever heard of this guy's name. I had seen this guy's name before. 
uh, when he <laughs> popped up uh, on the roster today. Let uh, uh, for Game Seven, let alone score, you know, three goals in a Game Seven. Hello. Uh, so yeah, I mean, hero because yeah, that Dallas team looked like it was on the verge of completely blowing it for a second year in a row. Uh, but yeah, uh, so let's you know for Colorado. I mean, I gotta say, I feel bad for them. I really do. Uh, it's it's kind of it kind of feels tragic. I mean, just because of the ba- the sheer bad luck that this team went through over the course of the series, they had so many injuries. I mean, both of their goalies uh, injured at one point, and they couldn't finish the series. I mean, Grubauer obviously got injured in game number one. That's a huge hit. Uh, there's a big gap between him and Francouz, but even Francouz was injured, and who they have to turn to. Uh, you know, former Leaf legend himself, Michael Hutchison, uh, their third string goalie. And I mean, he played like a third string goalie. What more can I say? Uh, th- when it came to game five and six, I, I don't think he won them the game. I think he was, you know, he was fine. He was fine. He was good enough. But, you know, yeah, he was just sitting there. He was just a guy. And meanwhile, you know, te- Colorado just took it to an inc- like a crazy level. Nathan McKinnon went beast mode in those two games. And that's why they, you know, almost came back to win the whole thing. And so, yeah, it wasn't, Hutchinson wasn't a game changer at all. And in game seven, it really showed that this guy was a third string goalie. He was not good. That last goal that he gave up in over, uh, to, you know, to, to lose the series in overtime wasn't good at all. He just, you know, you could tell that this guy was a third string goalie. What more do I need to add? He wasn't very good at all. And so, yeah, in Colorado, other, other injuries, you know, Landis Cog wasn't available for game seven. Eric Johnson was injured. Matt Calvert was injured. Both of those guys are on the penalty kill. Uh, and which struggled without those two guys. Dallas had a great power play. And, so yeah, just all around Colorado, I think the main narrative here, uh, I do feel bad for them because they had so many injuries. This team was primed to make it uh, at least to the conference final to go against Vegas. But really, I think the number one reason why they couldn't pull it off was because they were just hit with so many injuries. Yeah, I mean, I was heading into this Game 7, I was I would have probably picked the Avalanche. And then I see, like, you know, pregame, teams come out into the ice, and Michael Hutchinson leading the avalanche out onto the ice for whatever reason. Like, I don't see how, like, I, I know this is kind of kind of bad to say, but I don't see how you can have any confidence heading into the ice for game seven with that guy as your starter. Like, I'm sure, you know, you, whatever, play better when your goalie's bad. I don't know. But, like, the other thing, like, after Nemeshnikov scored to go ahead four to three, like, because they still had Hutchinson in that, I was like, man, yeah, I don't, I have a feeling, no, Dallas, they're going to push, they're going to go on all, all, all on offense. And they're going to beat him. And they did in 10 seconds. I think that was Kiwi Ranch's second goal of the game. And yeah, so Hutchinson, obviously, like if they had Francois in even, uh, I think they win. Also, like I didn't realize how, like Eric Johnson is really important to that the uh, Avalanche defense. Like maybe Sammy Gerrard, but I think Eric Johnson is their second best defenseman. Losing Landeskog doesn't help either. This really was like about the injuries, like honestly, all season long. And hopefully, like, they can have much better injury luck next season. I don't see how they could have worse injury luck next season. And, I mean, early Stanley Cup picks for next season. Like, you want to pick the Avalanche? Uh, that's that's totally fine by me. Yeah, absolutely. Because this team is stacked. And as you said, yeah, injuries uh, are kind of a fluky thing. You're in, you're out. And, and McKinnon has shown himself to just be on a completely different level, right? When it comes to, uh, yeah, he's now in the talk for best player in the world. I wouldn't you know, put him in that time. That's ridiculous. But people have been saying it. That's all I'm saying. I'm not, I'm not saying I agree. I don't at all. But you know, the conversation has started with this playoff and yeah, because he's been so good and you know, Kadri had an excellent playoffs. And so, yeah, this team is, you know, stacked head to toe. I, I would maybe consider because they do have a bunch of cap space. 
I would consider getting a better backup because there was a drop drop off between Grubauer and Francis, and even when Francis was healthy, it, it really didn't look like they had confidence in him. And yeah, Grubauer's had injury problems this season twice already. He was already you know out for an extended period of time, and so yeah, I would I think one of the priorities for Colorado is getting you know uh, at at least a very good backup, if not you know potentially a tandem guy, because this team is so stacked head to toe. Uh, you know, forward defense and all that, that, yeah, it's time to, you know, it's that one piece that really kind of like clinches uh, and that really gives you like, you know, that peace of mind. It's the goaltending because Grubauer has been inconsistently available uh, in terms of health. Uh, I think one of the needs that they have heading into the offseason is that backup goalie position. Uh, you need an upgrade from Francis there. I don't think so. Like, Francis has been pretty good. Uh, yeah, it was pretty shaky in the little bit he played in the playoffs. But looking at these numbers right now, comparing Grubauer and Francis, they there were stretches this season where Francis took over as the starter. And heading into these playoffs, uh, it was kind of like up for grabs. Like it was a 50-50 on who was going to play more, start more games, which ended up being Grubauer, of course. Uh, Francis, 9-23 in 34 games. Grubauer, um, it was a... 9-16 in 36 games. So played pretty much the same amount. Francis had a better save percentage. I do think it's definitely fair to say, like, you want to make an upgrade at goaltending. Like, totally understand, because neither one of these guys has been a full-season starter. So I think maybe you go after someone like Markstrom or Leonard if you want. I uh, don't think so, because I don't think the Avalanche really have the cap room to do that, especially with, you know, Makar. He's going to need a new, new contract soon. Samuel Gerrard's new deal is kicking in next season. Uh, but if you do, if they do have room somehow and they go that route and maybe, I don't know, you trade Grubauer and recoup some assets for him, uh, that would be an interesting thing If because if, they don't really have weaknesses. Uh, you could argue maybe, I don't know, upgrade on on left defense if you don't think want to have if you don't think Ryan Graves is good enough to partner with Kale McCarr, maybe. But this is a pretty strong roster from top to bottom. Yeah, and if there is a team that has a cap space to do it, that's really contending. It is. It's Colorado. They've got what the fourth most cap space in the league right now, uh, which is surprising for a team that's contending and that's so stacked. But uh, yeah, I think I would really consider making that goaltender upgrade. I think it's worth it because. It's just, you know, it's for a team like this, you really do want peace of mind when it comes to your goaltending. Uh, and yeah, I just, I, I don't feel comfortable with the inconsistency, the inconsistency of Grubauer uh, health-wise. It really does worry me. And it, you know, it came to show this season, uh, both in the regular season and in the playoffs. And yeah, Francis is a decent backup, I guess. And he can start some games, but I really did feel like there was a drop-off in play and that the Avalanche didn't feel comfortable with this guy behind them in the playoffs. And so... Yeah, I, I would I would consider a goaltending change there. Well, I mean, if you're going to make any upgrades, that's probably where it is. And there are definitely some goalies available to do so. Um, Western Conference Final, Vegas Golden Knights versus Dallas Stars. Starts tonight at 8 p.m. Eastern, I'm pretty sure. Um, and just want to point out, these are the, the two teams with players who knelt during the round robin. Besides, besides Matt Dumba, of course. Obviously, Reeves, Leonard, Dickinson, and Sagan kneeling in their round-robin game, and they meet again in the conference finals. Coincidence? Probably, but, I mean, poetic justice, I think, definitely uh, def- definitely applies here. Yeah, uh, I mean, some good karma, I would say. Uh, you yeah. know, it's nice to see. I mean, it's just, uh, those those four guys, they took the initiative, they, they, they did a courageous thing by kneeling uh, during the national anthem, and, yeah, it, it's nice to see that kind of thing happen. 
Uh, and absolutely. So you want to head into these playoff previews, starting with the Western Conference? I guess. I guess we could. Ryan Reeves, speaking of him, won't be available for game one because he was suspended for that hit to the head of Tyler Mott, I think it was. Or was it hit to the head or just a legal check? I don't remember. It was hit to the head of Tyler Mott. But yeah. Okay, okay. So Reeves is suspended for a game. Probably won't be too much of a problem for Vegas. Uh, Nick Cousins, I think he was out for game seven. Uh, he was either scratched or injured. If he's back, they'll have Thomas Nozak in. Not such a big deal losing him for on-ice stuff. I picked the Knights. Uh, they were incredibly dominant. Dallas, uh, I mean, probably, I, we j- kind of just said this, wouldn't be here if not for those avalanche injuries. Uh, also, I mean, I mean, we both picked them to lose to the Flames in round one. So it's nice to see this team that was kind of labeled as, you know, boring defense first, suddenly find their groove offensively, uh, especially that top line. Radulov's been scoring a lot on that on the top line with Ben and Sagan. And Miro Haskinen, I mean, if he hadn't already had a coming out party, this is it. He's probably... He's definitely, I think, fair to say, been the MVP for Dallas in these playoffs. And, I mean, it's great. To, we've talked about all, all these young defensemen. Uh, I'm excited to see how Dallas does against what's their best opponent yet. I mean, also, fully healthy and best opponent yet. And I think I think maybe people, I mean, everyone's picking the Golden Knights, rightfully so. I just did. But underselling them a little bit. I think I think this one might go seven. I'm going to pick, yeah, I'm going to pick Vegas in seven for this one. Oh, okay. All right. Uh, yeah, when it comes to Dallas, I mean, that top line, yeah, they scored a bunch, but, like, late in the series, they kind of disappeared uh, underratedly, you know, against Colorado. They, they got shut down. And if there's a team that can also shut them down, it's Vegas with all their depth. Uh, and the forwards, I mean, defensively, they're just so good. You talk about guys like Mark Stone, uh, who's an excellent two-way player. Uh, so, I mean, that's concerning, too. Uh, one guy that you didn't mention on Dallas that I'm excited to see, uh, Dennis Gurianov scored a bunch of goals. I think he's at eight or something at this point. Uh, and yeah, uh, another guy who on the second line. And so, yeah, that Dallas team really has surpassed expectations, especially my expectations. Uh, I mean, I yeah, I thought they were the kind of boring defensive team, but their offense has kind of clicked. And, you know, who knows, maybe Yoral Kiviranta will keep up his torrid scoring yeah. base. But uh yeah, I just, I, I just think, I don't know. I don't think Dallas can overcome. They don't bring the wave after wave factor that you know Vegas does. Vegas mm-hmm. is just so stacked everywhere, uh, and I mean it's really hard to beat a team like that. And unless you have you know spectacular goaltending, uh, but you know when it comes to goaltending for Dallas, I'm not sure what's going on there. I mean, uh, Hudobin's been good. He's been a good goalie uh, over the course. He hasn't been spectacular or anything, but he's been very good. Uh, but is that enough to stop Vegas? I mean, I really don't think so. Uh, and so, yeah, I'm going to take Vegas in this one. And and I think we might end up with the same picks in both of them because I, I, I frankly think there's a there's a talent disparity in both of these series. Uh, and as much as I'd love to pick Dallas, I, I love to see the underdog story. I don't like picking Vegas. Uh, I, I think I have to. I'm obligated. I really don't. I don't see a scenario in which Dallas is able to fend off Vegas and win four games. I just don't see that happening. And so uh, I'll take Vegas. I'll take him in six because, yeah, I feel pretty comfortable with this one. Uh, just that I think Vegas is just is, – they're just rolling. They're just rolling right now. Uh, and, yeah, I don't see Dallas stopping them. I wanted to point out uh, Anton Hudobin also because Ben Bishop came back for game five. Uh, he had been unfit to play. He came back. He gave up four goals, and he got pulled, and Hudobin came back in, and now Bishop was being unfit to play again. So, honestly, I was thinking, like, that's probably, if Dallas didn't end up losing that game seven, 
you can probably pin that on Bishop for either, I don't know, if he said he was good to go, did he really believe it? Probably not if he, you know, was that bad right away. And that could have been the turning point for them. Uh, in fact, it pretty much was the turning point for them because if Hudobin starts that game five, good chance that they win because after those four goals, the game ended 6-3. So like Dallas was win- one three to 2 if you just count the goals from that point on. So Hudobin has been good enough. I guess we kind of, we used that word for, uh, who did we use that, say good enough for? Hutchinson in game five and six. But Hudobin's been better than Hutchinson, no doubt. And I mean, there's another pending UFA goalie. Uh, there's another UFA versus UFA, Hudobin versus Leonard heading into this series. So a flooded market. And this this is a guy who, I mean, has been a very good backup for the last couple of years and has never really gotten the chance to be a starter and is now helping his team make a run to the conference finals late in his career. I think he's like 35. So, so good for Anton. Yeah, making some cash. Uh, good for him. All right, so let's let's move over to the other conference, back to the East. Uh, we got Tampa Bay and New York, and I mean, two, now this is really like two contrasting styles. Uh, and I, I'm I'm wondering what's gonna happen. I mean, this is you know Tampa did face a team that's kind of similar like this uh, when they went against Columbus, and I mean they overcame them and pretty handily so uh, in five games. And I mean, I think New York is, is Columbus on steroids. They're they're a much better version of Columbus. Uh, and but I don't know. I think there's there's a team like uh, that can neutralize the Islanders and their you know their kind of counterpunch style. It's Tampa. I think they can handle them. And I think Vasilevsky, uh, who's been absolutely fantastic all playoffs, especially against Boston, uh, I think he can hold them off. Uh, another X factor. We don't know what's going on with Stamkos. Uh, he's been injured. He had some surgery in March. And then I think he was he was participating in camp in like phase two and they kind of disappeared. And so we don't know what's going on there. Uh, that's a top line guy. And if he's able to come back, we're not sure what's going on with him. Uh, but if he is, that's yet another game changer for Tampa Bay and a team that just that's just stacked at the toe. Kind of like Colorado, but they've got but Tampa's got the goaltending and and they've got the goaltending big time this time around. Uh, and yeah, I mean, I think I think New York will give them a run for their money. I think New York is very well built and we've seen them just kind of steamroll teams uh, the last few rounds, you know, Philadelphia, Washington. But I, th- I think just Tampa's talent is just too much. And I think both teams are rolling. And when it, when both teams are rolling, I think Tampa definitely has the edge, uh, but I think it'll go seven. Uh, I think, I think they'll stretch it out, but uh, I'm giving it to Tampa and, and with relative ease in my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I'm picking the lightning too. Uh, I'll go with six for this one. We'll go two seven-game series. Um, and I think at this point in the playoffs, rest becomes a really big factor. The Lightning uh, played in the round robin. They played their three-round robin games. They beat the Blue Jackets in five, then they beat the Bruins in five. So that's 13 games. The Islanders played their four games against the Panthers. They beat the Caps in five. And then it took them seven games to beat the Flyers. So that is... Uh, 16 games and that three more games at this point does make a big difference apart from the fact that that their team probably isn't quite as good and also like the lightning they had already flown to edmonton they have had a couple days to get comfortable the islanders are arriving today and playing their game tomorrow and i think that that travel especially maybe when you're not used to that travel will make a a big difference so i wouldn't be surprised to see tampa take a, a stranglehold on this series early on even if it's just for that they're they're comfortable in Edmonton already. And I mean, yeah, I t- like talk about Stamkos. If he comes back, it makes a big difference. Even without Stamkos, uh, man, the Lightning are, they're so good. I did see though, I saw a tweet. I don't remember who it was from. Uh, it said something like, 
in the Eastern Conference Finals, the highest scoring team in the playoffs so far meets the Tampa Bay Lightning. So I guess the Islanders have kind of scored a lot. But you, you also look at like the teams that they've played so far. The Islanders, like Panthers, bad, pretty much all agree. Uh, the Capitals were playing very poorly. Braden Holpe wasn't any good. And the Flyers underachieved also. And compare that to the Lightning, who had to play Boston. And I mean, they did kind of fall off a little bit. But this is by far the hardest test that the Islanders have had this series. And I know they've dominated up until this point, but Tampa is like a whole 10 levels ahead of the Flyers based on the way that they had been playing. Yeah. Uh, so, so yeah, you, you picked Tampa at six, right? Uh, right. And, yeah, so that's that's that. Uh, one, one last thing I wanted to – I thought it was pretty funny. It was, it was kind of all over the place with New York uh, making the, the Eastern Conference. Uh, John Tavares. Uh, I think yeah. he passed over like five different teams and all five of them since he picked Toronto have made the conference final. Uh, and now that New York has made it, you know, we're talking about teams like Boston, uh, the Sharks last year, the, the Islanders, uh, Dallas, Tampa, and there we go. And so, yeah, JT picking Toronto. Uh, is it, what, what's going on there? It's, it's kind of funny though. It's kind of really funny that, uh, yeah, <laughs> looking like you picked the wrong team. And, uh, yeah, we love that. Also, but like the Islanders fans who were like immediately after making the conference finals for the first time in like, like uh, what, 20, 30 years or whatever it was, their first thought is let's, let's tweet that, that John Tavares pajama boy photo and say, ha, John Tavares player who left us two years ago. You were the first thing I think of when my team makes it to the third round and you were out two rounds ago. Like, like they think they're dunking on it, but it's, it's a pretty big cell phone. Honestly, like, like, like just move on, just move on. It'll be way cooler to be like, yeah, look at how good our team is because we have a good team or whatever. Yeah. I mean, like this, this has real like bitter X vibes, doesn't it? Yeah. Like, uh, yes. they're looking like two years in the back. Look where I am now. Huh? Is it? Hey, look how yeah. it feels good to be here. You know, and it's, it's hilarious. I'm engaged now. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's hilarious though. Islanders fans, uh, just a funny bunch. I mean, just throw back to that video. Uh, that you remember that video that they they put out. We don't out? need like, you, John. The, uh, we don't need you. Yeah. <laughs> if if you forgot what that was, uh, look it up. I I, I don't I don't know. How I think it was called Dear like, John. It was like Dear John okay, Islanders dear. fans. You'll All right, perfect. It. Just iconic, iconic, and just com- comedic values through the roof. And so yeah, Islanders fans rubbing it in. Uh, I mean, it's a funny look for everybody involved. I, I gotta say. Mm-hmm. I'm sure if they asked Tavares about it, he'd be like, "Oh, I'm happy for them. My my old teammates. Glad they're glad they're doing well." Yeah, there we go. Yeah, that's that's probably the bland ass answer he'd give. Uh, wouldn't be surprised. All right. Uh, so so we've got a we've got a prospect profile ready this week. A uh, bit we of do have a prospect profile. Have. Uh, before that, I do want to mention uh, Panthers hired Bill Zito as their new GM. This will only take a minute, but I felt I wanted to acknowledge this because he's been an assistant GM with the Blue Jackets for a very long time and a factor in multiple GM searches since then. And now he's finally got his chance to clean up a terrible mess, which is pretty much the situation most first-time GMs get put into because why are you there if there's not a mess? And, I mean, interesting to see how he does, how he handles, you know, a couple of Albatross contracts, uh, no depth at forward. A uh, lot of lot of mistakes to clean up for Bill Zito. Interesting to see how he does. And a reduction in spending too, because yes. apparently because that's what ownership wants. And so that's yeah. I mean, talk about walking into a difficult situation for Bill Zito. I mean, first GM opportunity. He's 
he's had. Uh, he's been, yeah, as you said, he's been the finalist for a bunch. And uh, yeah, he's walking into a hell of a train wreck, I would say. Uh, Bill Zito, excellent name. Excellent, excellent name, I gotta sure. say. Uh, the, the Z really stands out. And yeah, him and Mike Fuda have been there for a while in terms of uh, GM finalists. And so yeah, you know, you'll have to see this kind of guys uh, get these kind of jobs. I mean, he's never had a shot yet at the GM position, and so apparently he's qualified. So we'll see how he does in Florida. Prospect profile. Here we go. This is the first prospect profile we've had in like over a month, and thus it's the first one we've had since we've known Montreal would be picking 16th overall. So we figured we might as well stylize that to players who will probably be available around the range that they're picking. And the two players we picked are wingers, left winger Rodion Amirov, and right winger Seth Jarvis. Now, I personally like them both better than the players listed 14 to 17 on Bob McKenzie's uh, list, which are Caden Gooley, Hendrix LaPierre, Dylan Holloway, and Braden Schneider. Amirov is, actually, Jarvis is ranked 18, and Amirov is ranked 19. So it wouldn't be too far of a stretch to think that both these guys might be options for Montreal at number 16. And after looking into them even further, I confirmed that I would be very happy with either one of them at 16 overall. Yeah, I mean, they're both they they're both prominent. Uh, they're both promising prospects. And uh, I mean, yeah, absolutely, I'd be happy. They both look like they both look at them. I look at their prospect profiles. Uh, I personally, right now, like Jarvis a bit better than Amarov, but uh, I mean, yeah, they're both good prospects. It seems, and the I mean, the qualities that we talked about that we don't want in a first round pick. I mean, they don't seem to really exhibit them uh, between the two of them. Uh, so I guess I'll start with I'll start with Amirov. Uh, background info: Left wing, shoots left. Listed at six foot and 168 pounds. Uh, is an early birthday for the draft. He's October 1st, 2001. So he will be he will have just turned 19 by the time the draft comes around. And stats from this year: He played in the MHL 17 games with Topar Ufa, and the MHL is kind of the AHL equivalent of the KHL. And he had 22 points in 17 games, 10 goals and 12 assists. Meanwhile, he, meanwhile, he actually played more in the KHL with Salavet Yule of Ufa, but he only had two assists, zero goals, two assists in those 21 games. But I do want to point out it's very hard to get a read off of KHL stats because they play teenagers so rarely, like they barely any ice time, much less important ice time in offensive situations. But he did, by all accounts, hold his own in the KHL very well in the limited time that he did get to play. Yeah, as you said, I mean, the KHL, when it comes to players, uh, especially the prospect, it's it's a weird, it's a weird, you know, kind of trying to get a gauge uh, on what the deal there. Because, yeah, we've seen a lot of different prospects that come from Russia that, you know, their stats aren't great, but, you know, the skills are there. And I think the skills are there for Amirov, uh, Amirov, Amirov, right? Amirov, okay. Uh, so, yeah, he's he's got, you know, we're talking about, you know, uh, the skills that he has, first and foremost, uh, he's a good skate. Like he's a really good skater. Uh, he's mobile and he's got some real agility. Maybe not like the best speed, speed, but like he's got acceleration. He can turn on a dime. Uh, and I mean, he's he's really good offensively in terms of he's maybe not the best playmaker, but he's he's really like he's consistent. He's efficient and he's reliable when it comes to making passes. And, you know, keeping that offensive pressure. 
and he's smart too apparently i mean all these i'm getting off of what different scouting reports uh i haven't like seen him seen him play too extensively maybe except for a few highlights but from what i hear this guy's uh he's smart he's mobile and he's efficient when it comes to offensive production and yeah those are characteristics that you really like to see in in in, in an offensive minded winger yeah, and uh, of course he's got like a lot of a lot of offensive skill too, which which you would expect when you're drafting a forward in this range. He's high ceiling as you would hope for, as is expected. And when you compare it to you know those other names, Gouli, Schneider, Holloway, uh, Amira, because he has that higher ceiling, is so much more appealing, I think, in in this range. And I think he even like he might have scored a Svechnikov goal in like a preseason game recently, which is uh, you know pretty enticing. Uh, or maybe that was just like in practice or something. I don't really know. And like, as you kind of mentioned, very strong defensively in comparison to other wingers around this age. And I know we say like, uh, maybe like a forward who's not too, who's like maybe a little spotty defensively. Like that's not too much of a red flag because you can, you know, help eliminate that through coaching. And it's possible to teach that kind of thing. But a guy like Amirov, who already seems to have a pretty good grasp on it, like an ability to anticipate play and like, you know, be active, which contributes to his defensive prowess when that's already developed in a, in a player, then that definitely bumps you up a couple notches. And it also, it makes it easier to project like a higher floor for him. Like sometimes people will spend too much time focusing on like on the high floor, but when, when, but I mean, it's better than a low floor, all else being equal. And I don't see any way that this guy is worse than a really good third liner in the NHL. And if I had to bet, I think a top six winger is much more likely. Okay, yeah. I mean, look, you talk. We talked. We talk a lot about you know how how forwards are as prospects in terms of you know defensively, and you know deal being very bad defensively is not a deal breaker, but being solid defensively like Amirov. Certainly a, a decent bonus. Uh, it's something that you don't have to worry about. As you said, you know, it's a higher floor. And now you can work on other things. Uh, in terms of possible improvements for the guy, uh, he's six feet. But, you know, he still needs to build a little more strength. He can get, you know, he, like when, especially on the, you know, when he's playing on the boards and get grinded out of the puck. Uh, and, you know, he lose possession like that. Uh, needs a bit more confidence. And I think that you can... You know, you give him a bit more playing time because, you know, you, you look at his stats, right? 20 games and whatnot in the KHL, only two points. And, yeah, you can understand why this guy might need a little boost uh, to his ego. And so uh, just play him a bit more, and I think that's to be expected for it. As you get older, you probably get more playing time. And, yeah, he's got another year in the KHL, I think, uh, that he's under contract for. After that, you bring him to the you bring him to North America. You play him in your minor leagues. You give him a ton of playing time because he's your first round pick, and you know that's how you build a guy's confidence. I think these are these are two traits that I mean, you know, talking about more strength, you you set him up with you know an NHL caliber you know strength and conditioning coach and all that. You put him on a program. These are traits that yeah you can absolutely work on, uh, and uh, there I I can I can absolutely see Amirov improving on these drastically, and then he shows up to the NHL. And as you said, uh, middle six forward. I think uh, wouldn't be surprised at all. And top six, uh, hell yeah, I think it's absolutely part of his ceiling. Mm-hmm. So as I said, that's number 19 on Bob's list. And Seth Jarvis, one spot higher, number 18. Right winger, shoots right, uh, born February 1st, 2002. So kind of like, uh, I guess, mid-age range. Uh, played in the WHL this year for Portland, the Portland Winterhawks. And he had 
amazing numbers, 98 points in 58 games. But what's really notable is that he really exploded in the second half of the year. He had, in his last 24 games, 57 points. So that is uh, well over two points per game average in his last 24 games. So I guess not quite the entire second half, but his last 24 games. And also worth looking at, uh, Connor Zeri, who we're not talking about right now, also had very good numbers in the WHL this year, similar to, similar to Jarvis, but a lot of his assists were actually secondary assists. And so you look into it a little, a little oh, maybe those uh, those numbers actually, you know, boost him up a little bit more. Meanwhile, Seth Jarvis, 74 of his 98 points were primary points. And out of those 74 primary points, 55 of them were at even strength. So that's great to see when you have uh, this offensive dynamo in the WHL who doesn't, you know, doesn't depend on power play time to produce he can do it at even strength too so these are all very good uh uh not red flags the opposite of that green flags when looking at seth jarvis <laughs> all right yeah i really really like seth jarvis as a prospect i mean you're talking about a guy whose production like just really skyrockets in the second half of the season and then and then that's the reason why you see you know you know, you look at different draft boards, this guy's all over the place. Some people have him as high as like 10th or 11th, uh, some, you know, down at like in the 20s or whatnot. Who knows? Some people say he might slip out of the first. Uh, but I, I, you know, you look at those numbers, right? You did that, you know, a little deeper dive into his numbers in terms of his points production, and those look fantastic. And then you look at his skill. And these are the kind of traits that are, you know, high ceiling skills. Uh, and especially when it comes to the offensive uh, the offensive side of the ice. Uh, his defense needs some work. I'm not gonna lie. His defense. There's one part, and it's why we've seen all sorts of forwards that they need defensive work, uh, especially you know wingers. And as I said earlier, it's not a deal breaker. It's just something you need to focus on. But let's go back to his strength. And I mean, he's just a playmaker, uh, and and notably a high danger playmaker uh, when when he's in the offensive zone. He creates and takes high danger shots. He's got a decent shot. And he also, you know, creates chances as a playmaker too, you know, passing it into the slot all the time. And I mean, that's that's the kind of, you know, we're talking about ceiling. We're talking about how important that is. You named those guys earlier, like your Goulet, your Schneider. Uh, not such a high ceiling, not such a high ceiling in terms of offensive production. Uh, and those kind of traits, Jarvis has those uh, with his ability to, you know, to score goals, to put the puck in the net, whether it's through, you know, a, a great pass through the slot uh, that, you know, his teammate scores and or a goal that he scores himself. And I think, you know, you look at those numbers again, you talked about primary points, 70 something out of 90 something. I mean, yeah, the numbers back it up. Just the fact that he is able to create those chances by himself and to be that, you know, to create those plays. Uh, that's what I really like in a prospect uh, when it comes to ceiling and when you're drafting somebody uh, in the, you know, the 16th pick range that the Habs are, uh, that's what I like. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do want to say those stats I found. Uh, I got them from Scouching, which is a great YouTube channel. Uh, he, he does uh, profiles on a lot of prospects. And I watched the Seth Jarvis one, took down that information. Want to shout him out. If you're, if you're into prospects, definitely look at that channel. Very, very informative. Um, he also pointed out that uh, Jarvis takes a lot of high danger shots and not a lot of low danger shots. So, um, and another source that I looked at that I can't remember what it was, uh, said um, 
his pointed out his shooting percentage was very high, almost 20%, which you would think is unsustainable. Normal shooting percentage is around 10%. But I mean, when you look at those two pieces of information together, a lot of high danger shots and a high shooting percentage, then it kind of starts to make sense why the shooting percentage is so high, because he doesn't shoot a lot from low danger, low danger areas. And instead, what he does is he makes a lot of high danger passes, a lot of uh, shots Oh, sorry, a lot of passes to the slot, a lot of, you know, getting the puck towards the net, going to the net. So that's kind of a little bit of context on how Jarvis produces offense. And I think, like, also that kind of thing where, like, he, you know, applies pressure, forechecks very well. That's That'll probably be very appealing to a lot of teams, specifically Montreal, along with his whole offensive style. Because, I mean, that seems to be the kind of style that, that they want to play. So this is a guy Montreal probably has their eye on. I hope they have their eye on him size bias maybe like plays a factor in why he's ranked at 18 instead of maybe i don't know 13 14 he's 510 he's 172 uh, which might have like pushed him down the rankings a little bit a little bit because this is a a very high ceiling player yeah absolutely we haven't even talked about his skating this guy's good on his skates too uh he's agile uh and for, i mean he's kind of the, he kind of fits the mold like undersized forward but he's He's got the added boost up that ceiling. Uh, you know, you talk about high danger shots uh, and all that. Uh, primary points, just things you love to hear uh, when you're talking about a prospect uh, from, from a prospect profile perspective, uh, the triple P there. And uh, yeah, uh, we're talking about weaknesses. I talked about, you know, you talk about, you know, he's got, yeah, he's, he's got, he lacks a bit of size. But as we said, uh, frequently, that's a bit overstated in the NHL these days. Uh, and yeah, yeah. You know, as such, he needs to build on some physicality, just like Amirov. And yeah, I talked about defensively; he's not so great. Uh, maybe he cheats a bit too much uh, in uh, towards the offensive zone. Uh, but yeah, those are the things you can absolutely coach. Uh, who knows? Maybe that was part of the system over there in his, uh, I think, in the WHL with Portland. And so yeah, you can fix it. You coach it up. You do all that, uh, and you could find yourself with a very high level winger a uh, few years down the road with some excellent development yeah i was going to point that out too how he's been he's been mentioned to cheat for offense from time to time and i mean that can work in junior uh probably won't work at a higher level than that uh i wonder if you know when you what when you do coach that out of him if he still does produce at the same level i assume he would because i mean once you have the puck in the offensive zone you have the puck in the offensive zone doesn't really matter how you got there or what you did you know 15 seconds ago to, to make it happen uh, you said you slightly prefer Jarvis to Amirov. Um, I I'm really undecided on this. Like, if they're both available, I would be totally happy with either one. If I had to pick, I think I'm leaning ever so slightly towards Amirov, just because. I mean, I'm not sure if the ceiling is quite as high, but it's very very close and comparable enough that uh, Amirov's advanced defensive game and his experience playing in the professional league in the KHL. And also, you know, the fact that like when you take a player out of, out of Europe, then you, you do hold their rights longer and you do have more options with where you want them to play. Those really tiny things I think might give Amirov the edge for me if I'm making that draft pick. Yeah. For me, I mean, I, I said, I prefer drivers and yeah, I do, but like, yeah, as I said, it's close. I mean, I would be happy if the Habs took either of these guys. And I would be upset if there were either of them were there uh, and they passed on him for a player that we, you know, we like less for a guy like Gouley, a guy like Schneider. Uh, and so, yeah. I'll be so pissed said, if they take either Gouley or Schneider. I'll be pissed. 
Oh, absolutely. I mean, it just we thought we talked about how we don't like them when we did our mock draft. Uh, just the ceiling's not there, right? Uh, well, I, li- I like Julian. I like him in like the late twenties, maybe. Right. Yeah, but not where the halves are. Sixteenth. Uh, right. uh, and yeah, just it doesn't. We're talking about picking in a pretty good spot in a very deep draft at sixteen. Uh, you really you should be swinging for the fence for the guys with the ceiling, uh, like Jarvis. And yeah, in my opinion, a bit to a lesser degree, but with Amirov too, because he does have all that skill. And yeah, you talk about a higher floor, absolutely. Uh, it's something to take into account. So, I mean, I think we both end up with positive reviews on both of these guys. And yeah, but anything else you want to add before we wrapped up this uh, this profile? Uh, no, not really. Uh, it's been kind of fun looking back at looking, uh, turning our attention back to the draft a little bit. Uh, probably next week. We, we might do another one or maybe in two weeks. Maybe other players that will be available at 16. Or maybe guys will be available with their back-to-back second rounders at 47 and 48. So uh, the draft is really sneaking up. It's like a little bit over a month away. I think it's October 9th is the first round. So uh, it's going to really come up around the corner. Uh, but that wraps it on this week's Prospect Profile. And now it is time for our tri-weekly, is that the correct word for it? Game of Guess Who? Is that the right word? Try weekly, or is that three times a week? I have no idea, so right. we'll go with try weekly. All right. Uh, All right. This week we decided uh, in midweek when Tampa Boston was the only series that was finished at that point, we said, "Hey, we'll do the Lightning since they're the first team to punch their ticket into the conference finals." And so that's what we've done. And we have the twenty-eight players that the Lightning have in the bubble. They were, they're like the only team that took fewer than 30 players in. Seems to be working out for them so far. Uh, we've got Zach Bogosian, Eric Chernak, Anthony Sorelli, Braden Coburn, Blake Coleman, Barkley Goudreau, Yanni Gord, Victor Hedman, Tyler Johnson, Matthew Joseph, Alex Kalorn, <gasps> Nikita Kucherov, Patrick Maroon, Ryan McDonough, Curtis McElhinney, Andre Palat, Cedric Paquette, Braden Point, Yan Ruta, Luke Shen, Mikhail Sergachev, Kevin Shattenkirk, Steven Stamkos, Mitchell Stevens, Andre Vasilevsky, Carter Verhage, Alexander Volkov, and Scott Wedgwood. Those are the 28 guys on, the, uh, on tap for this week's Game of Guess Who. You got random.org pulled up? Oh, yes, I do. All right, so time to hit randomize. Here I go. Okay, I've got my guy. Do you have your guy? I have my guy. Okay, I'm going to mute my incoming mm-hmm. audio so that you can tell our audience who your player is in three, two, one. I got Raiden Coburn. I am back. All right, you ready to mute? Okay. I am muting in three, two, one. One. My player is Luke Shen. All right, I'm back. We are good. Uh, okay. So, good uh, go. I believe we tied last week. Is that correct? Or last last time we played, we tied. Yes, we did. All right, and so now we are in like a, a one, one, and two deadlock. Uh, so I think since you are the most recent winner, because you won the the what was it the Penguins round? I think I think it was. Um, Right? Yeah, it was the the Penguins one. Okay, so I'll let you... You can have the the home field advantage again, and I'll guess first if that's what you wish. Uh, It is what I wish. I will kick off. Uh, I'll defer. All right, go ahead. Okay, so uh, my... So first of all, I wanted to talk about... We should Let's talk about our spreadsheets, actually. Little in, because I made okay. a couple minor adjustments. Uh, first, right. I didn't add new information, but I did split the information I had into multiple columns so like i now split name into first name and last name two separate columns and i split birth country and birth city into two separate categories and so on i made a couple 
couple alterations like that. So, what I am now going to ask for my very first question is, was your player drafted in the top 60? Okay, all right. Let me find my player on my list. My player was drafted in the top 60. All right, fantastic. Um, lots of players uh, on the Lightning who have been drafted in the top 60. Uh, I don't have the count. You'll give it to me in a second. But, yes, uh, I will. Pretty good. All right, my turn. Uh, was your player born in Canada? My player, uh, I'm pretty sure... Yes, he was born in Canada. Okay. I don't think that helps much, right? I think they have a lot of Canadians. They do have a fair decent chunk of Canadians, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. So that question about the top 60 actually did pretty well. I've, I've, I've chopped it down to a little under half. I've got 13 players left right now. And for my second question, I am going to ask... Was your player drafted by the Tampa Bay Lightning? My player was not drafted by the Tampa Bay Lightning. All right. Okay. That that's actually that only cuts off six at this point for whatever reason. Um, okay. Okay. So I've got I've got seven guys left. Not looking too bad. Not looking too bad at all. All right, all right, I'm right. um, trying to figure out what I would like as my question. Uh, I've got 15 guys, and uh, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to copy you uh, this time around. Was your player drafted by the Tampa Bay Lightning? My player was also not drafted by the Tampa Bay Lightning. All right, so we got a whole... That's about half for me. But I don't know, this is a pretty funny coincidence. I have only defensemen left. Hope I didn't make a mistake or something. But I guess players drafted in the top 50 and not drafted by the Lightning only leaves defensemen. Um, All right. Let me ask. Let me ask. Does your player shoot left? My player uh, does shoot left. All right. Awesome. Perfect. Brilliant. All right. right. I'm down to three now. Three players. Okay. So, uh, all right. Uh, funny enough, I actually have the four. I have like less, less than half of my players are forwards. Um, so that's kind of fun. So I'll ask that: huh. Is your player a forward? My player is not a forward. Okay, all right. I should have started off with that question. Uh, that's all right. That would have made my life easier. Yeah, I could have also because I've got three defensemen left. Okay. Uh, yeah, okay. So my last guys are Braden Coburn and. Former Montreal Canadiens draft picks Mikhail Sergachev and Ryan McDonough. So I am going to guess the one that wasn't drafted by Montreal. Is your player Braden Coburn? My player is Braden Coburn. Snipes, okay, let's go. Right. What a great I've start got... for you. What a great start. Let's see if you can tie it, if you can pull it off. So smooth. All right, I got four guys. Uh, notably, I've got Braden Coburn. Uh, and I've got Curtis McElhaney. I've got Scott Wedgwood. So I've got a couple of goalies in there in the mix. And I got Luke Shen, another defenseman. And so, okay, all right, if we're going, it's probably not a goalie. It's probably not my guy. So that leaves a notable defenseman whose birthday is only one day before mine, according to my spreadsheet. Is your player Luke Shen? Yes, my player is Luke Shen. What a snipe. All right. 
And he goes for the last minute tie. Uh, I, I thought I had it. I thought I had it. Oh, that hurts. I thought, I thought, oh, man. Ouch. Okay. All right. With some decent logic there, I got to say. Uh, why did you, why did you right, just assume it wasn't that. a goalie? I don't know. Like, the odds of that, so small. So small. Well, Only it was actually like 50% for you, but. Hey, it's okay. We'll go with my, uh, you know, I guess that was a bit I of guess it worked. Bias, I guess it worked okay. for you. Hey, it worked. It really did work, didn't it? Okay. <laughs> yeah. All right. Round two. Okay. Um. Here we go. All right. Randomizing again. Yep. All right. Got my eye. Right. Yeah. I'm gonna mute in yeah. three, two, one. Got nobody. Uh, Alexander Volkov. Never heard of him. I've returned. All right. Ready to mute. Right. I'm muting my incoming audio. Uh, three, two, one. Muted. My player is Tyler Johnson. All right. Okay, we're yeah, good to go. No. You've All tied right. round one. Okay, I'm back. You've tied round one, right. and let's see. So if we split, we, we might have like a, a third tie. I feel like this is a game that's pretty prone to ties, but whatever. We'll carry on. Perhaps. All right. Uh, so, right. It, it, makes the win, it makes the wins worth that much more. All yes, right? that is okay. true. That is true. All right, so you guess first this time. Okay, so uh, this time around, I've got a category that's just birth months. It's just the number, 1 to 12. Uh, and so it seems to me pretty split down the middle, down and also coincidentally down the middle of the year. And so, is your player born in June or earlier? My player was born not in June or earlier. All right, so July or later. Yes, precisely. So all y'all early birthdays get out of here. Okay, we're down to fourteen players. All right. Uh, was your is your player's number thirty or less? Okay, one second. I need to check my uh, spreadsheet. My player's number is it thirty or less? It is not thirty or less. Okay, so it's thirty-one or more. But I know it's not thirty-one because there's no one on this team with number thirty-one. Okay, it's a convenient uh, cutoff. All right. Hmm. Okay. All right. Should we go with height? That's a fun one. Um, or maybe not. Maybe we'll go. Hmm. Got a lot of dead air, but it's okay. Uh, all right. Was your player drafted in either the third or fourth round? My player was not drafted in either the third or fourth round. That's. That's a chunk. That's six players gone. Uh, maybe not as many as I would have liked, but it's okay. All right. All right. Uh, I am now going to ask, hmm, so, so many different options now that I've got the spreadsheet of like, what questions should I ask? I don't even know. Uh, all right. I'll go with the simple one that you kind of already did. Was your player born in Canada? Uh, my player was not born in Canada. Okay. Not born in Canada. Bye-bye all you Canadian kids. I'm down to seven players. Oh boy. My players more way more forwards, uh, way less forwards than other like other positions. I only got three forwards left, and so I'll do that again. Uh, let's see if we can hit a home run with a forward. Is your player a forward? Yes, my player is a forward. Oh boy! All right, we're down to three. All of a sudden, I only down to three. Nice. Oh no! Oh no! This is not looking okay. good for me. Oh wait, but you are. Yeah, you did go first, so it's all right. Uh, let's see if I can work myself down to three also right now. Um. I've got seven players left. Uh, and what do I want to ask? What do I want to ask? I'm going to ask because I've got four defensemen left. Is your player a defenseman? My player 
is not a defenseman. Okay, all right. So we're both at three. This is this is all right. This is all right. Oh, not bad at all. Okay, so my three players. I've got a I've got a Ruski. I've got an American, and I've got a Canadian. I've got Volkov, Johnson, and Gord. Who will I go for? Um, you know they do have a chunk of Canadians, but I'm honestly feeling on like Tyler Johnson. Hmm. I don't know. All right, I'll jump. Is it Volkov? Hmm. Ah man, I don't know. I really feel like it's Canadian time. So, is your player Yanni Gord? My player is not Yanni Gord. Unfortunate. All right. All right. For the win. On the other hand, my three players left are all Russian. Nikita Kucherov, Andrei Vasilevsky, and Alexander Volkov. Um, Man, if you got the goalie after talking about how such a small chance it was that you got a goalie, that'd be kind of poetic justice. But uh, I don't know. I don't know, man. Uh... You did, I don't know, maybe you tried to trick me into thinking that it was Volkov when you were like, is it Volkov? So, yeah, I'm going to go with the one guy who hasn't played, the one guy who's not a star. Is your player Alexander Volkov? Ah, shit. He got me. It's Alexander I, Volkov. I, yes, I knew. I, I, your it's acting was too, it, it wasn't very good acting. Like, hmm, is it Volkov? And then moved on immediately. Yeah, I, I, I can tell. I can tell. Bam. All right, who's your player then? My player was uh, Tyler Johnson. Oh, man. Damn, I got some Johnson vibes earlier. Uh, all right. Okay. All right. All right. I am up. Ooh, I, need I, need lead. I need a tie. I need a tie here. Okay. All right. You go first this time around. No, if we tie, oh, if we tie this uh, last one, then I win. Oh, no. I mean, I need a victory right now to tie it up. I'm oh, yes. For, exactly. Exactly. I'm going for a series tie. But I'm, all, all right. right. Here we let's go. go. Let's go. Okay. Randomizing again. Okay. Got okay. my player. I'm going to be muting in three, two, one. My player is uh, another rando, Mitchell Stevens. I am back. All right. Okay, I am muting audio in three, two, one. My player is Andre Palette. All right, I'm coming back. Okay. Okay, here we go. So I'm guessing first this time again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Let's go with... How about a nice birth year question? Let's sort this by birth year. Uh, was your player born in 1992 or earlier? 1992 or earlier. My player was not born in 1992 or earlier. All right. That is pretty nice. I've, I'm now I'm getting rid of 16 players because of that. And so I am thereby down to... Uh, Less than 16. What shall we go with? What shall we go with? Should we go with points? Points are kind of spicy. Uh, current stats. We love that. Um, okay. I do not have that right. on my spreadsheet. I'm going to have to look this up. Um, damn. Okay, never mind. My points column is kind of broke because uh, there are letters and they're not sorting by number. So oh, never mind on the points. That's garbage. Um, yeah, it's trash. All right. We'll format better for the next in three weeks. Um, yep. Okay. All right. So, hmm, maybe we'll go with, maybe we'll go with weight. Weight is fun. Um, right. so I got I got my oh, numbers on this from Hockey Reference, uh, just to make sure yeah, we're looking too. at the same all spot. Right. Okay. We stole from the same site, uh, all, right, all our yeah. information. So shout out to, to Hockey Reference, you a real one. Uh, so is your player, does your player weigh 200 pounds or less? Uh, all right, let me just check. My player 
does weigh 200 pounds or less. All all right, those guys are gone. All right. What would a game of guess who be without a good old, you know, name letters question? So, oh, does boy. your does your player's last name start with a letter that is M or earlier, somewhere from A to M in the alphabet? Okay, could you repeat that question? Because my brain did not process that at all. Okay, does your player's last name start with a uh, letter from A to M? Uh, no, it doesn't. Last oh, name, no. All right. Shame. Um, Only getting rid of five players in that one. I've, I've got uh, I got seven players left now. Okay. All right. Uh, I'll do a name one, but I'll do... Uh, you know, no, we haven't done numbers yet, have we? No, neither of us has done numbers. Uh, yeah, we haven't. I'm for a number question. Uh, so, all right. Is your does your player have a number uh, that is thirty or lower? Uh, you did this exactly. Oh yes, oh, I you did, did this question. Too. Oh yeah, I did do that. All question. right, well I stole it, and okay. we're okay. All right, I stole stand by. Let's go. Okay, um, thirty or lower. My player's number is thirty or lower. Okay, so that takes out a nice seven or eight. Okay, how many do you got? I've got seven players left. How about you? I got nine. So you got got a slight lead. All right. Um, I'm going to go with another draft spot question. Was your player drafted in the top 40? Okay, let me just check. Um, my player was drafted in the top th- uh, 40. All right, okay, okay. okay. Very nice, very nice. How many you got? I've got three okay, players left. Right. This is very worrisome. Um, okay. Okay, we got to really narrow it down fast. How many do you uh, have? So, I got nine. So, I need Okay, okay. I need a, a quick reducer. Okay. So, does your player have 30 points or more? In this season? In this season. Yes, my player does have 30 points or more in this season. Okay, so that, that takes out three forwards and a goalie. All right. Or thirty points. All right. So you've got you got five oh, players no. left now. F- four forwards and a goalie. Okay. So I've got four players left. Okay. All right. All okay. right. So we are pretty tight. We are pretty tight. Uh, but if I could get this right now, then I clinch the win for this Tampa Bay Lightning round because you have to win this round outright in order to tie the Tampa game. So that's correct. So. I've got, I've got who are your three players? I've got Mikhail Sergachev, Mitchell Stevens, and Andre Vasilevsky. This is the second time Vasilevsky's come up in my in my top in my final three. He I was right to not pick him last time. Don't think I'm gonna pick him this time either. Sergachev Stevens, um, Mikhail and Mitchell, two pretty similar sounding names. Uh hmm. I went with the the irrelevant player last time with Volkov. Worked out well for me. I think I'm going to flip the script this time. Go with former Montreal Canadiens ninth overall pick. Is your player Mikhail Sergachev? It is not Mikhail Sergachev. All right. All right. Not Mikhail Sergachev. For now, this is it. i got to tie it up. Um, we've got, as I said earlier, 30 points or more means you are a pretty key contributor on this team. We've got Tyler Johnson again. Not touching that shit. Uh, Andre Palat. Alex Killorn. Braden Point. And who 
gives the biggest correct vibes right now as I'm looking uh, is Andre Palat, drafted 208 overall by Tampa Bay in 2011. So that's pretty remarkable, homegrown player. Uh, and so I think I will. To, for the tie, one out of four shot, Andre Palat. Is that your player? Yes, my player is Andre Palat. Oh my god! Oh my god! Just, just oh, that's two snipes. That's that's all. Okay. Ouch! Ouch. Don't all like right. that. Do not like that. I come out of this with a tie. Who is your player? Um, my player was Mitchell Stevens. So you were on the right track. I was so close. Not to pick I, 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 Stevens was, was going to be my next guess. It was. If, was you, so if you missed so Palat, then I'd be a winner right now. But man, twenty five percent. Wow! Congratulations. So we remain Thank you. Thank you. deadlocked in our ongoing guess who series one one and a three we each are uh stay tuned because three weeks from now will be part six of of the fusion guess who saga that's right um probably going to be the western uh stanley cup team if you think about it because we're both taking tampa so yeah maybe that's sort of watch out yeah uh, so whoever we'll say right now, whoever wins the western conference final that's who we'll go with for next guess who either dallas or vegas perfect all right okay so Anything else uh, you want to add before we call it an episode this week? Yes, there is one more thing. This episode is the last one that will be powered by Podbean because this week we will be switching over from Podbean to Anchor as our as our podcast distributor. Uh, be honest, we're not actually we're not sure exactly how it's gonna run. Should be a pretty smooth switch because there is a part of Anchor where it's like click here to switch your podcast to Anchor. Um, I don't know if it's going to disappear off Spotify and Apple podcasts for a few days and then come back. Not sure, but it's definitely, it won't be gone for good. And uh, all the episodes that we've done up until this point, dating back almost a year should all appear on anchor. I'm pretty sure. So look, look ahead for that. Uh, So like if you're subscribed on Podbean, uh, then you probably, you won't see anything new after this episode. Uh, Switch, switch over to anchor because that's where we're going to be. Yeah, right. So if so, if you are listening on Podbean right now, uh, you won't see any more new episodes from next week and on on that uh, on the app. So you you want to switch to Anchor. Uh, but if you do listen on anywhere else uh, that's not Podbean, uh, it should like nothing should change. You shouldn't be even able to tell that we switched to Anchor. And so you know your Spotify, your Google Play, your Apple Podcasts. If you do listen to us there, uh, I mean it should stay the same. Maybe it'll disappear for a few hours or something. But uh, the full expectation is that really there should be no, uh, this shouldn't affect you unless you do listen on the Podbean app. Uh, and you know, follow us on Instagram, follow us on Twitter. And if there are technical issues, we'll let you know through those channels, uh, because that's how we do it here. The only real difference you should see is in our, in our like podcast profile picture, there might be like a little anchor logo that appears in the corner, but, uh, besides that, nothing really. And maybe we'll be changing that that picture anyway, because that picture of us is actually almost two years old, and uh, also a little bit sloppy looking with that like like Android Photos Editor font and the scratched out Old Navy, which was kind of just like a random gag that that we left it left in there. But uh, maybe we'll rework it a little bit. Who knows? Yeah, we're we're heading into our second year almost. I think we started in October last year, or maybe we did start in September. I'm not like, too sure. Very late but, September, uh, I think, was our la- was our first episode. It was September 29th, I think. So almost the the anniversary. 
Right. So for our second year, we'll be uh, perhaps rebranding a little bit. New logo, uh, definitely a new podcast provider. So uh, yeah, watch out for that. Uh, so I think that's it for us this week, right? Yep. Okay. So thank you very much for listening as always. We appreciate each and every single one of you. Uh, you know, you can always hit us up on our Instagram page or on each of our Twitters. Our handles are in the description. Uh, yeah, you can tweet us about basically anything and uh, we'll get back to you most likely. Uh, and yeah, so as, as, as we said, keep in mind there's a the podcast provider switch and uh, have a great week, everybody. The conference finals are starting. Let's go. This episode of Fusion and Hockey Podcast is sponsored by Sanborn's Boys. This new sports novel by Benji Mellers is available on Amazon. Order your copy of Sanborn's Boys today.